Welcome to the Meaning of Home podcast, where we discuss the complexities and connections between home and homelessness. I'm your host, Sarah Christou, and as always, with me is the podcast's producer, Dave Angel. We are doctoral researchers at Loughborough University, part of the Harnessing Opportunities for Meaningful Environments Centre for Doctoral Training, for short, the Home CDT. We are a cohort of seven PhD projects approaching concepts of home and homelessness through a creative lens to develop impactful new research. Every month, we'll bring a new episode with a range of guests to provide commentary and conversation on different themes. In this episode, our theme is youth, where we'll be discussing the causes and impact of homelessness on young people in the UK. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Phil Kerry, CEO of New Horizon Youth Centre in London, and Hannah Dignan, Shine Regional Complex Needs Project Coordinator at YMCA Leicestershire. Phil is the proud Chief Executive of the much-needed New Horizon Youth Centre, a day centre and service delivery organisation that supports any young person who finds themselves homeless in London. Phil started his career as a teacher before moving to the youth sector in 2007. Previously, he was Director of Programmes and Partnerships at London Youth. He also chairs and participates in numerous homelessness forums, including a Rough Sleeping Task Force and the London Homeless Collective. He has led New Horizons since 2018, drawn to the mission because so many young Londoners continually say that housing is their biggest concern. Hannah is the coordinator of a regional YMCA project called Shine, which supports YMCAs to improve access to accommodation for homeless young people experiencing complex needs. She also manages the Complex Needs Service at YMCA Leicestershire, which is Leicestershire's leading youth homelessness charity and provides accommodation and vital support to over 100 young people at any one time. Hannah has worked alongside young people for over 15 years in a range of settings, including education, youth justice, domestic abuse services and social care. She is a qualified social worker and systemic practitioner with a keen interest in trauma and creating psychologically safe environments. Welcome, Phil and Hannah, to the Meaning of Home podcast. So on this episode, we're discussing the theme of youth. There are lots of reasons why young people become homeless, including abuse, leaving care, family breakdown, structural disadvantages and limited access to support services. Youth homelessness is complex and for many young people, it can be safer to leave home than to stay. Currently, there is no accurate source of information on the scale of youth homelessness in the UK, with significant gaps in the data, However, Centrepoint's Youth Homelessness Data Bank estimates that 122,000 16 to 24 year olds were homeless or at risk of homelessness in the UK. Phil, can you tell us more about what causes youth homelessness? Well, I think, Sarah, you you said to yourself there that it's a complex issue and the reasons young people become homeless are going to be many and multiple. Certainly what we'd see at the centre is no two stories are the same. Um, so, you know, they, they range from the individual, could be family breakdown, something that's going on within the home environment, but there could be much more the structural as well. So to do with young people living independently, less likely to be paid well, uh, have safety nets and things. So, 
it, it's a complex issue. Um, it, it does require complex thinking about how you do it. And our, one of the main things we would say is that, you know, how young people become homeless is different, how they experience homelessness is different, and therefore the solutions ultimately that we need for young people to exit homelessness are different as well. And all too often, uh, government systems all think about people experiencing homelessness as a homogenous group. And actually, we need to think about young people in different ways. And if we're not doing that right from the start, then effectively, we're excluding them throughout in terms of our the solutions we're trying to put in place. Thank you, Phil. And um, I mentioned also there about the gap in the data. Uh, Hannah, do you know why there is a lack of data on youth homelessness? Um, and what is how does that affect our understanding of their experiences in the UK? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the main reasons is that youth homelessness is different to older groups. Um, when people imagine homelessness, they often think of kind of rough sleepers, people sleeping in doorways. Um, and often the data tells us a, a picture of those who are presenting to their local authorities homeless. But what we know about young people is that they tend to be very resourceful and will find alternative ways to have a roof over their head. So they might sofa surf with friends, with extended family, kind of go between places. Um, they sometimes sofa surf with acquaintances and, and kind of relative strangers. So they don't often approach services to present as being at risk of homelessness or, or being homeless. Um, and I think a second contributing factor is that even when young people do present um, at their local authority, uh, the data doesn't always represent every individual who presents. It will, it will represent those who've then gone on to have a eligibility um, assessment. So an assessment is to, to decipher whether they are um, homeless and are owed a duty. Um, so I think that causes difficulties really in understanding the, the prevalence of homelessness within uh, younger populations and I think as Phil said I think when we talk about homelessness we often kind of talk talk about it as a homogenous group when in fact uh, young people experience homelessness differently to to older people. And you mentioned there Hannah that young people often don't approach uh, homelessness services um, so how is that then tackled? I mean you can speak specifically to the work that you do and where you are how uh, how do we reach young people um, and get ensure that they get the support that they need I think services in within the community are vital to identifying young people who are either already homeless but are sofa surfing or at risk of homelessness uh, through family breakdown um, and unfortunately, as we all know, there's been severe cuts to uh, youth provision in the community. Um, but I think those community services are vital to identifying when a young person um, is becoming at, at risk alongside other statutory services. So social care, education and um, health services. And I, again, I think we, we talk about it all the time in terms of joined up approaches and information sharing, but that's absolutely vital because otherwise 
you know, there is this kind of hidden homelessness, um, young people who are vulnerable, um, who don't necessarily know how to to get support, um, to either avoid homelessness or, or to find accommodation. Thank you, Hannah. And Phil, picking up on a, another point there, um, it was mentioned that young people experience homelessness differently. So how they become homeless is different and the specific issues that they face. Could you highlight a bit more about what are the issues that young people face when becoming homeless? Some of it, I think, probably stems back to what we've just been talking about in terms of data. So time and time again, we'll have young people coming to us at the centre in need of support and the provision just simply isn't there around them. Yes, young people are, are, as Hannah said, really resourceful. So a lot of the young people you'd be supporting wouldn't even necessarily realise they're homeless. They just think they're just getting by, calling in a favour here, like exactly as Hannah said, um, you know, with a mate, extended family, mixing it up, occasionally staying at work, when run when favours run out and um, ending up on the streets. Now, the reason they're doing that is because, A, it's not obvious to them where to go for help, and B, when they do go for help, the help just simply isn't there, or the, the way that that help is structured, particularly through thinking about housing council options sometimes, it's not in a way that's um, accessible to young people. So I think on the data front, as you mentioned, Centrepoint have done a really good bit of work on freedom of information requests, trying to understand just how many people are becoming homeless um, under the age of 25 every year. And by their estimates, you know, you're talking about 120,000 young people every year in London. That's about 15,000 young people, obviously, more in the capital. Now, what we also know at New Horizon is only half of them are actually going to the council in the first place, either because they just don't understand that they can or because their friends have had such bad experiences of it, they just don't even see the point of doing it in the first place. So we think, you know, if you, if you put all some of these data sets together, we think there is a double-decker bus's worth of young people becoming homeless in the capital every single day. And because nobody's talking about that, the support just isn't there structurally in the way it should be. And we end up in this sort of death spiral of, well, then young people have to then get by by themselves make do end up on the streets um, experiencing homelessness in quite hidden ways they don't end up in the proper data and because they don't end up in the proper data the support isn't there so you've got this whole like system that's working against young people and then at the same time when they do try and get by by themselves and are going to rely on the state for benefit or an employer for work you've got the system pushing them down further still so you know, I was just looking at minimum wage rates earlier today I think minimum wage for a 23-year-old or 21-year-old is £9.80 or something. For an 18 to 20-year-old, which is the vast majority of young people coming to us for support, it's only £6.80 or something. It's like £3 an hour less. Now, what's the difference between a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old in terms of work productivity? Why should a young person be able to access less benefits than someone who's just a little bit older than them? So, so that there, yeah, it's it can be a struggle. And Phil, have we seen any impact over the last couple of years, in particular related to the COVID nineteen pandemic? Uh, I know other homeless organisations and shelters, you know. They saw an increase in people coming to them because this simply because things were closed. 
So there weren't the amenities and resources open or there for them. But that, of course, uh, is adults experiences of homelessness. I wonder if there is um, any changes or particular impact around youth homelessness from the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, yeah, so I think three things to say on this. The first is yes, I mean, it has absolutely grown. So we saw during the pandemic, the numbers of young rough sleepers uh, rising sharply in London. It gone from historically 8% of all rough sleepers in the capital were under the age of 25. It got up to 13% at one point. Now, that is shocking and bad. One of the small upsides to that was that it did then mean that it got political focus in a way that it didn't before. So we've actually been able to use the growing numbers to actually carve out with the mayor um, youth specific solutions and support. So now the mayor brilliantly has agreed to ring fence some of his budget in London for youth specific rough sleeping. So with the rise, it has enabled um, opportunity to come. The second thing is it's just who's being affected. So we've actually, since before the pandemic, we've seen double the numbers of young women now coming to us for support and treble the numbers of LGBTQ young people. So it is disproportionately affecting different groups of young people. Young women, I mean, it's still quite early to understand why, but you would think people being stuck at home, increased levels of domestic abuse. It certainly seems in keeping with what the women's sector are talking about. LGBTQ young people you'd think for similar reasons so although it's affecting probably pushing numbers up is definitely disproportionately affecting some and the third thing was that um, if you think about Covid being the shock there is often an aftershock and now we're very much in the aftershock so whether the cost of living is as a result of Covid a little bit, Brexit, wars and like all these events are intertwined and actually what we thought was bad a couple of years ago is suddenly looking like it's going to be nowhere near as bad as what is happening now. And I'm sure Hannah would say there's a lot of concern for some of the reasons we've already talked about here. This is going to be a very difficult winter and a couple of years ahead for young people. Absolutely. And Hannah, I see you nodding along there. What's the picture like uh, around Leicestershire and, you know, this this idea of the aftershock, as Phil said, with so much that has happened after the last two years, the cost of living crisis that we're now facing after such a difficult period too. Yeah, I was not nodding along, but what I'm saying, Leicestershire, we're definitely seeing that aftershock um, in terms of increased uh, levels of mental health difficulties amongst the young people we provide accommodation and support to. Um, we're finding that young people are needing to stay in our accommodation for a lot longer uh, than they would have previously before they'd be offered a, a council tenancy because there's obviously a huge backlog. So, you know, young people are staying with us for two, three years um, before they're being able to, to be offered their own tenancy, which obviously then causes an issue with us being able to offer accommodation to newly homeless young people within within the city so it's very you know it's very difficult it's difficult to, pro to provide a really good quality service to young people who are experiencing really difficult times and manage our kind of accommodation in the best way possible and try to reach as many young people as possible and Housing, of course, remains a priority for young people. Um, however, there's a lack of affordable 
housing. So with everything that's been going on the last couple of years, as you were mentioning, and the problems that we know we've got ahead coming up, uh, there's also intersecting issues around insufficient welfare support, adverse childhood experiences, lack of mental health support, and as you mentioned earlier, funding cuts to youth provision. So young people face significant challenges around finding and keeping safe accommodation. Experiencing homelessness in your youth can also cause long-term and life-changing issues. Hannah, could you speak more to the that point in terms of how does homelessness impact the uh, ongoing life chances of young people? Well, we know that young people entering homelessness services are extremely likely to have experienced, as you say, adverse childhood experiences, trauma within childhood, and quite often it's quite complex trauma. So it doesn't tend to be a one-off kind of falling out with parents or caregivers, but a whole host of um, either traumas that have been perpetrated against a young person or the kind of absence of those vital experiences that they need from caregivers. So they're already young people who've experienced trauma. And we also know that the homelessness in itself is a trauma and that once you're in homelessness uh, services and settings, you're also more likely to witness and um, experience further, further traumas. And what the research tells us about that is um, without the appropriate support and level of support to be able to kind of resolve that trauma, to make meaning of it, to uh, perhaps shift your core beliefs about yourself and other people, um, it can lead to really significant uh, negative later life outcomes. Um, I'm sure you're all aware of the, the ACES study that was done in the 70s and 80s, and it showed that the amount of adverse childhood experiences you had, as that increased, as did the poor later life outcomes. So it's the obvious stuff like uh, being more vulnerable to um, having difficulties with substances, having difficult mental health, having difficulties uh, in relationships and relating to others. But it also impacts our physical health. So more likely to die younger, more likely to develop things like diabetes and heart disease. So without the right support, homelessness is a contributing factor to to you know significantly negative later life outcomes and I guess that what that's what drives the work that Phil does and the work that I do because we hope that to have some small impact to try and resolve some of that um, some of those traumatic experiences for young people. When people come to the centre they almost kind of, particularly if they don't really know a lot about the issue, they almost sort of embarrassingly say to me, people don't look very homeless. And I'm like, I know, brilliant, right? That's exactly how it should be. Or they say, well, they've got really nice headphones or really nice trainers. I'm like, yes, of course. So they should. They are young people in London. And we want the very best for them. They want the very best for themselves. And I think that's possibly one of the areas where Yes, um, they would have been, by the very nature of walking through our door, um, experienced some of the trauma that Hannah would just talked about. But the very difference is they still have their lives in front of them. And whilst their reasons for coming home, this will be many and multiple, every single one of them will genuinely think about the future potential of their life. And I have that conversation with young people in the centre all the time about what they want to do. And 
you know, some of my big dreams, some are just quite practical. I just want to get a job, you know, I just want to get a job so that I can get my own place and I'll start from there and then I'll go somewhere else. Um, and I think that's probably one of the, the things that inspires us all the most is seeing that that potential is there to change things before life has ground them down. And Hannah, on that point of um, potential, I think that's a really important aspect of, of the work that uh, you do as well at YMCA Leicestershire, that the focus isn't always on the negative or the worst things that have happened in your life or always being told that there's that sort of idea of it being damage centred, essentially. There's a whole life there. There's a whole potential there for a person. Uh, I wondered if you could elaborate a bit more on the work that you do in that regard. Yeah, I think for the young people who come to our our service, they're often already navigating very complex systems and have been through a whole host of assessments and risk assessments and vulnerability assessments, um, which tend to be quite deficit based. You know, there is information that we do need to know to make sure that we provided the right uh, types of intervention. But as you say, young people are a lot more than what they don't have. And they've often come to us having survived and in some cases thrived um, through resources of their own. So at the Y, we try to bring that to the forefront. So in everything that we do, you know, from the moment of their induction into our accommodation, we want to know what their experience has been like so far. What can they bring to our organisation? What are their hopes whilst they're living with us and um, beyond? My project shines specifically one of our principles is about being strengths based and that sits like Phil said within a trauma-informed lens you know being homeless um, means that you're in a completely powerless situation in some sense you don't have choice over your accommodation you don't have choice over who it is you're living with so wherever possible we try to um, provide choice and of course it's always integral housing but some of the other things that came out there as I was listening was choice and power essentially. Phil on that point of choice, power, autonomy, um, all of these things are of course they're important to um, across the board in terms of social justice and homelessness issues and I know that recently uh, New Horizon Youth Centre's been campaigning around London. I wondered if you could talk a bit more about what are some of the changes you've been working on uh, to better support young people? So we, as part of our new strategy, we, we, we've been doing reflecting. I mean, it's partly sort of naturally evolving over the last few years, but you know, we're a frontline service. We're there to support people at the point that they experience homelessness. But there's a Desmond Tutu quote, which I really like. Um, obviously, he suddenly passed away about a year ago, but his... He said, and um, the quote sort of says along the lines of happy to keep pulling people out the river. I really wish someone would go upstream and find out who's pushing them in. Now, for 55 years, New Horizons have been pulling people out the river and we'll continue to do that. That's our kind of main role as a charity. There are going to be thousands of young people experiencing homelessness in the capital. What we've been trying to do is say, well, actually, how do we best deal with growing numbers? You could just get bigger and bigger and bigger, but we'll never be big enough. And indeed, we shouldn't ever be that big anyway. 
there are sort of tales of woe from places like Kids Company that would suggest you don't you can't get too big. Um, but also it's not our role. This is the state's role. We exist because the state isn't fulfilling this in, in the proper way. So how do we use the learning from this to go upstream and start making some change? Now, we started this on rough sleeping because we thought almost this is the sort of the Trojan horse in. It is, as we've described, what everyone thinks of when it comes to homelessness. It's what the public think of, but it's what politicians think of. So if you can win the argument on rough sleeping and say young people experience rough sleeping differently and need different solutions, then you can start to broaden that out. Now, I think we've begun to win the argument on rough sleeping, actually. The government, the uh, Department for Leveling Up Communities and Housing actually just released its new rough sleeping strategy and in distinct difference to four years ago, suddenly got quite a lot in there about young people. It's carved out youth specific budgets for it. Great. That's really, really good progress. Now let's open the doors and get this happening on housing and on the homelessness code of guidance. Because if we can do that, then we'll really start to see the need for less of us. And I'm sure Hannah and I both think it would be nice if we didn't have to exist um, one day. And ultimately, if we're going to make that happen, we do need this to be better embedded in state practice. Um, I think that you're also talking about prevention rather than cure with your um Desmond Tutu quote because of course homelessness is physically mentally and emotionally exhausting and can affect every area of a young person's life in addition to there being limited resources and young people are underserved in that respect so Hannah what support do young people need to prevent them from becoming homeless I think much better really early intervention in our experience, those young people who come into our services are often, not always, but often from families where there is intergenerational um, hardship, uh, poverty, often mental health difficulties. There's often been social care involvement. And I think if the support and funding and resource was was in place kind of early doors, working with families, uh, in the broadest sense, so thinking about uh, their economic situation, uh, whether the their income is meeting the the financial needs of of living and providing for a family, whether parents are able to access the support they need to be uh, emotionally and mentally mentally well enough to provide good enough parenting to their children, um, I think. That would avoid families reaching the point at which there is a relationship breakdown, which does account for most um, youth homelessness. And again, going back to a comment I, I made earlier, I think that that involves, you know, statutory services. I think it also involves acknowledging the contribution that voluntary and charity agencies make and kind of joining up our, our working more effectively um, so that we're meeting the needs of families in, in, in its broadest sense. And it's also been mentioned earlier, of course, that young people who experience homelessness are not a homogenous group. So, Phil, could you speak more about how services can better understand their specific needs of young people? Yeah, so we've um, been doing a lot of reflecting on this ourselves, partly because 
learning through the pandemic and how we deliver services in new and different ways. We, we've been a frontline service for uh, all of our history and then started to open up things in remote ways and understood actually that that enabled us to reach different people, either geographically to, you know, it's easier to access from out of London, but it also, things like our counsellors got greater uptake. Certain groups were more likely to want to work with advice over the phone than in person, just because they felt more comfortable telling their story in that particular way. So I think one of the sort of watchwords that came out of the, the pandemic for us was just greater choice. So choice in obviously the, the the service you can access, and we split ours around four things. We housing, an obvious one, life skills is another, health, mental and physical, that is. And then finally, keeping young people safe. So particularly sort of young women and those um, affected by violence. So there's the kind of service offer for young people and making sure that it's flexible and tailored to their need. But it's also thinking about how young people can access that in a way that's appropriate to them. So methodology but also just an understanding of young people's specific situations and I think that's often we talked about young people falling out of the system earlier in, on in this and that's often where young people may fall out of the council system is because young people want a greater degree of flexibility or understanding about how they kind of present and that often isn't there and if we can build that in and that's sometimes where charities can come in and play that brokerage role but it's great if we could just redesign it then that will help young people um, better navigate some of these systems. If we were to ask some of the young people that you work with, Hannah, about redesigning the system, as Phil said there, what do you think some of those suggestions would be? I think the main thing that we we hear from young people is I guess going back on what Phil was saying, understanding me as an individual and my experience to get to where I am now, rather than using the same systems and the same questions and the same processes that you would for anyone else. And they always say to place relationships key to any process that, you know, treat me as a human. <laughs> Give me choice um, wherever possible in a really kind of difficult system that doesn't offer much choice. Try to give me choice. But yeah, the main thing is, is create a context within which I can trust you as an individual or a service uh, or an organisation, because my experience so far has been that, you know, people I've trusted have let me down. Yeah, they'd probably say that amongst uh, some other choice words, but I won't <laughs> repeat those. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And, and Phil, you wanted to come in on that on that point. I mean, I just echo everything Hannah said. I just slightly got, we did an evaluation of one of our projects recently and slightly got the words of one of the young people in that. But it's it's often being your word. It's the, it's the trust is built through people being their word and a lot of the young people that would walk through our doors or Hannah's doors have often been let down many and multiple times by people including family so what they want more than anything is someone to do what they say they're going to do and actually if you keep doing that that's the thing that New Horizon staff keep doing is that doesn't mean you have to tell them exactly you, you can tell them hard truths about actually that isn't going to work and then be honest with people but you can be consistent and be your word with stuff then you start to build trust and that then leads to 
femme principale de la série. We end every episode of the podcast with a regular segment where I ask each guest the same question. What does home mean to you? Hannah, what does home mean to you? Um, home to me means um, the place where I feel most safe. And I think safe in the broadest sense. So um, the physical space and the place, but also I think most importantly, the people that make me feel most safe. Thank you. And finally, Phil, what does home mean to you? For me, I think it's beginnings and endings. So just think about your day. You wake up in your bed in a hopefully safe, warm house. And likewise, after a day, it's there for you to come back to as a place of, um, yeah, a safe place to to put your head down. But I think it, it also goes back to that. If you've got something safe to build from, then you know, it makes you think about starting a family, starting a new venture, getting a new job and having that base to, to build a life from. It's also then the same. You're willing to take challenges if you know you've got a nice safe place to come back to after it's all done. So beginning endings for me. Thank you, Phil. That brings us to the end of this episode. We would like to thank our guests, Phil Kerry and Hannah Degnan, for joining us and sharing their thoughts. For more information about our work, please visit meaningofhome.uk. Follow us on Twitter at meaningofhomelu. Remember to follow and share our podcast. And, of course, thank you all for listening to The Meaning of Home. This podcast was created by The Home CDT. It was hosted by Sarah Christou, produced and edited by Dave Angel, and the music is by the Angel Brothers. All ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the individual. The Meaning of Home is brought to you by doctoral researchers at Loughborough University.